I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. Inside your bulletin, you will find an outline entitled The Revealing Gift. Today, we're continuing on in our series entitled The Gift. I'm so creative at Christmas, it's unbelievable. Uh, but you know, people go, how do you do it? How do you come up with all those creative themes? Well, uh, the idea is this, that I, every year I get to tell the Christmas story, and I try to approach it from a different, a different angle. And people say, do you get tired of that? I go, no, I love it. I mean, it's the greatest story in the world of how God sent his son into the world to rescue us from sin, slavery to sin, uh, and the consequences to give us eternal life so we don't have to be afraid of dying. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Yeah, well, why wouldn't I want to talk about that every year? The only thing is, though, when you tell these stories, it's like uh, the stories of the Christmas uh, that are associated with Christmas from the Bible. It's like, well, how do you come at I try to come at them in a different way every year so because there's so much depth to it. it you, you, almost, it's amazing. I mean, I can do it the rest of my life. And so I'm excited about today because we're talking about this in terms of the Christmas story, in terms of a gift. And today we're going to talk about the wise men and that the gift, or when Jesus first appeared, how people reacted to it. And we're going to use the story of the wise men as kind of the template for that. But uh, it's really quite amazing. If you need a pen, by the way, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you because uh, you want to take some notes on this. But what's amazing about the whole story is, is that, as you'll see as we walk through this today from Matthew chapter 2, where uh, the wise men... Uh, came to Jerusalem uh, seeking Jesus and uh, trying to figure out where he was because they'd seen a a star in the heavens that led them there. Well, all the reactions of the people reveal what was in their hearts. And so that's why this is called the revealing gift. When you and I get a gift uh, or we give a gift, uh, sometimes the I mean sometimes the reaction is delayed. Other times it's immediate. Uh, You can people reveal what they think of it. You know, like they'll be really excited or they'll go, you shouldn't have. I mean, like, you really shouldn't have. That's not good. Okay, <laughs> that type of thing. I, I remember in my life, one of the most revealing gifts, or the most revealing gift I ever gave at Christmas, the most revealing Christmas gift, is when I asked uh, my wife Debbie to marry me. Uh, I had spoken to her parents. I was living in Missouri at the time, and I would come down and take some vacation time. About every six weeks, we'd get a few days together type of thing. And so I'd talk to her dad at Thanksgiving time and asked for permission to ask her to marry me, and done the whole thing. I had a wedding ring and I uh, came down and I'd sworn her mom to secrecy and I got to her parents' house a couple days before Christmas and her mom said, you better tell her I'm about to die, okay, because this the, the secret was wearing her out. Anyway, you know, so I was looking for just the right moment. Uh, we, were, we, were, we had uh, taken walks in a park here in Montgomery or in Montgomery many times and uh, when we were dating, and that was where I was going to propose to her because it had some sentimental value to me just to be there. We got out there and it started raining. Uh, so that didn't work, and so that plan was nixed, and we went back to her parents' house, and we're sitting by the Christmas tree. Her parents had gone to bed, and we were just up late talking and other things. I decided, I'm going to ask her to marry me. So I got down on one knee, and I had the ring in my pocket. It had been burning a hole in it, and um, I asked her to marry me, and I, and I said, will you marry me? And she grabbed the ring and ran straight to her parents' bedroom and never said yes or no. <laughs> so I followed along, and she was screaming, jumping up and down that she had a ring, and you know, and it was just mayhem and other things. And I was still waiting for an answer, okay? But from the excitement in her voice and everything, you know, finally she said yes and gave me a kiss and mission completed. Okay, that was good. Uh, but the idea was this, is that instantly I knew the reaction. Instantly. Um, sometimes I've met with people before when they've asked somebody to marry them and they said No. That was not a Merry Christmas. 
Um, there are other times when people, you give them a gift, there's no excitement, there's no joy, just kind of like, oh, thanks. Well, those kind of reactions happened when Jesus came into the world too. And they still happen today. Jesus brings out reactions. And how we react to the gift that God gave us, that reveals what's in our hearts and where we are. And so today, this is kind of a diagnostic thing. I'd like to use the story of the wise men. It's kind of a diagnostic because we'll see four different groups of people and four different observances here where we'll see how people responded to the gift that God gave us when he gave us his son. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just pray that today you'll do some business in our hearts and uh, you'll use Christmas time as a time to challenge us for us to evaluate our hearts. Where are we in relation to you? What's in our hearts? Now, the gift of your son is a revealing gift. And Lord, I pray that today you'll speak to us and if there's anything in our hearts that needs to, be ch- that needs to change, I pray that you'll show us that. If there are things that need to be affirmed, I pray that you'll show us that. I want you to speak and move me out of the way. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the gift of your son. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Point one on your outline, Jesus was the original Christmas gift. Um, could you just read John 3.16 together with me, please? Could we read that together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the idea. It's the whole reason we give Christmas gifts is to remind us of the gift that God gave us when he gave his son. That's why we do it. On that day, God gave us his son. Well, it's a great day to be generous to others as well. That's how that all started. God was the original gift giver, and Jesus was the original gift. Now, when you give a gift, as I said, this brings us to point two. The gift, many times, well, when you give a gift, it'll reveal what people think about the gift, maybe what they think about the giver, uh, by how they react. I was glad my wife reacted positively to the gift of her ring. That was a great load off my mind. I really wasn't in doubt. I mean, her dad had given permission, and I was pretty sure this would work, but this is kind of like the biggest thing I've ever done in my life, so I was nervous. And it was wonderful to know that, hey, this was a good thing. Well, God's gift of his son revealed what was in the hearts of people, both in that day and today. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard all this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. Now, to make sense of all this, you need a little bit of geography and a little bit of history. And so I'm going to summarize a bunch of things real quickly. But some major players here, you need about 67 B.C., so 65 years, 67 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, um, Pompeii had come down, uh, the Roman general Pompey had come in and conquered Israel. And for the next 25 years, there were different people that changed hands as to who was leading in that area. Eventually, it settled on a gentleman by the name of Herod, the guy I mentioned here. And he wanted to be king over this chunk of real estate over Israel. The Romans were in charge. The Roman Empire extended all the way down to Egypt here. There were wars. They had conquered all of this area from Rome all the way, and they'd driven back the Persians, the uh, people in where there'd be modern-day Iran and Iraq. They'd push them back, and they'd come all the way down here. And so they would look for local people to run their territory for them, to be a, a surrogate or a puppet king, if you will. Well, Herod wanted that job. There were some Parthians over here who had 
in 37 BC had come in and they had conquered Jerusalem and Herod made his way all the way to Rome and asked for the Roman government to back him and he swore he'd be loyal to them if they would just make him king of the Jews. And that was the title he sought. And they said, okay, as long as you collect the taxes and keep the peace, we'll put you in charge. And so they sent a contingent of soldiers. They drove the Parthians out. And then Herod set up a bunch of uh, fortresses, palaces, all along the eastern border here in case anybody from the east ever tried to come back in. He wasn't worried about the west, where the Romans were. The Romans were the ones who backed him. But he had all these palaces and fortresses all along the border here in case these folks ever tried to attack again. He was really paranoid about that. So that was 37 B.C. So now it's 35 years later, about the time when Christ is born here, and all of a sudden there are some wise men who come in. Now these are wise men. They probably weren't Parthians, but they would have been people who started off in Babylon, in the area of Babylon over here, uh, who had come uh, through the different trade routes, and they had come, and these were people who were in the courts. They were the kingmakers in the Persian area. They would have been the high mucky mucks, the people, if you were a king, these were the people who put the crown on your head. They were experts in astrology and magic. They could read tea leaves and omens, and they were the ones who would determine whether somebody was fit to be king, whether you should go to war or not. The kings in Persia would consult them. And all of a sudden, there was a contingent of these people that showed up in Israel, where the star is here in Jerusalem, and they were looking for a baby that was born who was king of the Jews. Herod said, I'm king of the Jews. And I don't remember having any babies lately. What are you talking about? So it concerned him greatly. There was a threat to his throne because he was not the legitimate heir. He was somebody who seized a political opportunity. And the fact that they were coming from the east, that really troubled everybody. That got his hackles way up. So let me read this again. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is here, this little green dot just to the south of Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the reign of King Herod, this paranoid guy. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else. I'll bet so. Point A, the leading priests and teachers of religious law were apathetic. So we're going to look at the first group um, because what you're going to see is a twist in the story here because Herod realizes, hey, they must be talking about some sort of prophecy. I mean, these are people who are soothsayers, tea leaf readers, palm readers. They check the stars, and that's what they tell them. There's some kind of sign in the heavens that have told them that a great king of the Jews would be born. Well, Herod had been king over this area long enough that he understood that there was supposed to be a Messiah coming, a great deliverer of God's people. It was in all the prophecies. I mean, all, they'd heard about it in Persia because Daniel and the others who'd been taken there, they'd, gotten, they'd become wise men. There were groups of Jews that still lived in that area. They'd lived there for hundreds of years now. And so they would have known all about these prophecies of a Messiah. And so look what happens. Herod called a meeting. This is Matthew 2, verse 4, that continues on here called the meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and he asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? He's going, is there any connection to this? I mean, they're coming here to Jerusalem. Where is he supposed to be born? Oh, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and they're quoting Micah 5, 2 here. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, I had put point A here, the religious leaders are apathetic, because that's all it says. After they told him this, and all Jerusalem had been disturbed because these wise men had come, well, it just stops there. It doesn't say the religious leaders went down to Bethlehem to see it at all. They didn't do anything. I mean, it's amazing. They didn't even bother to go look. I mean, these wise men had traveled a long way, almost a thousand miles taking this trade route if they started out where Babylon is. And that's what most people think they started out. It had taken them months to travel there. Really hard task. It would have been a big contingent. They had costly gifts for this king. So they would have had soldiers with them to protect them. I mean, it was a big entourage. It would have taken a long time to get there. And they were willing to travel through all kinds of dangerous territory on a long, hard trip just to see this king. And the local people who'd known all about the prophecies who could tell you, oh, yeah, it's Micah 5 too. You never read that? Bethlehem, five miles away. And they didn't even bother to go look. There's no record that anybody even went to look. And you'll see that as the story goes along. John 1:10 tells us that Jesus was in the world. The world, that, uh, the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. I mean, the one who made the world came into the world, and the people who lived there didn't even care. So here's the first life application. If I'm going to look at my reaction to a gift, I mean, if my wife had been apathetic, hey, you want to marry me? Mm, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> that would be bad. I'm glad she was excited, jumping on her parents' bed, scaring the fool out of them. That's what I want, not, mm, whatever. Let's talk about something else. God doesn't want us to be apathetic about his son. We must not be apathetic about Jesus. You can put your own name there. I put John must be apathetic about Jesus. And we can be, because we can get used to life and busy with things. Jesus told this parable uh, that baby Jesus grew up, and during his ministry, here's one of the stories he told from Luke 14. There was a man who prepared a great feast. He's talking about the kingdom of, excuse me, of heaven here. Prepared a great feast. He sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, "Come, the banquet's ready." But they all began making excuses. One said, "I just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me." Another said, "I've just bought five pair of oxen." And I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Man, I don't know what that means. Okay, anyway, uh, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste in my banquet. And Jesus said, that's the way it'll be with the kingdom of heaven. All kinds of people that were originally invited, who had all the scripture, like these priests and the other people there, they had all the knowledge. They knew exactly where to tell them to go. But they didn't even bother to look. Apparently they were too busy. Herod had also, by the way, secured a good prominent place with the Jews so he could claim the title king of the Jews. He said, I'll re rebuild your temple for you. And he did a magnificent job on it, apparently. It was considered a wonder, one of the wonders of the ancient world. I mean, it was amazing. And so a lot of Jews aligned themselves politically with Herod, and I guess that's the, where they were going to go. They were more interested in politics. 
or position. I'm going to see if there was a Messiah actually born. We can't be more concerned with, you know, the oxen, the, the work they have to do, life or relationships or other things, too busy with other things that I don't have time for Jesus. This Christmas season, is there time for Jesus in my life? Or is this just an afterthought? I read my Bible if there's nothing else on TV. Then I have time. I have time to pray when things are really scary. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. But other than that, I really rarely ever talk to God. Where would I be? Where's my heart? Jesus is a revealing gift. Point B, well, the wise men, on the other hand, now they knew where Jesus was. You'll see that they set out on this. They brought Jesus, they sought out Jesus, they brought him valuable gifts, and they worshipped him for who he was. There's no evidence that the wise men knew all the things we know. They just knew from the signs in the heavens and the prophecies that they must have heard that this something was happening that they couldn't explain other than this Messiah was being born. And so God was giving a clue to all of his people who should have known better that this was finally being fulfilled. This was something that nobody had ever seen before. This is some kind of supernatural event. Well, then Herod called for a private meeting. This continues on, Matthew 2, verse 7. He called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can worship him too. I mean, it sounds reasonable. He's king of the Jews. He's helping us out. He went to see the priest. They told us about Bethlehem. Seems only reasonable the king would want to know. They don't know Herod's past. Chances are they don't have any idea about all the history here and all the fortresses he's built up and the negotiations he's had with Rome. I mean, Wikipedia didn't exist then. So there you go. All right, but anyway, um, go back and search for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Because... They hadn't picked up on it on their own, of his duplicity. But this is so amazing. When they find the baby, they come to worship him. The reason why we say three kings is because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Also, it's, I mean, it's real convenient for the Christmas story to have the little nativity set where you've got the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and, and everything, Joseph and Mary and the baby in the straw, and everybody shows up at the same time. Well... The truth is, as you see here, that Herod was asking the star, it appeared two years earlier. So this could have been a year and a half, two years after Jesus was born. They're no longer in the stable or the manger. Jesus isn't sleeping in a manger anymore. They're in a house. So Joseph and Mary didn't just go, hey, this is a nice stable. I think we'll stay here. Okay. (laughs) That was a one night only type of arrangement. And so they would have been in a house. When they came there, they gave him those gifts, costly gifts. Gifts fit for a king, the king of the Jews, whose sign we'd seen. As a life application for you and me, 
We must seek Jesus, worship him for who he is, and be willing to give him what's valuable to us. It's funny because I was reading in a, I have a life application study Bible, and the notes on this little section that I just read you here says the most amazing thing, and I, I wanted to write this down, so I got it exactly right. But it was just this helpful little thought. They said, you know what's interesting is the wise men, they sought out Jesus. They traveled a 1,000 miles to seek out Jesus. They brought him valuable gifts. They worshiped him for who he was. He said, in our world, we expect God to come looking for us to explain himself why he hasn't been giving us everything we want. We want him to prove who he is and give us gifts. Well, if there's God in heaven, how come I didn't get the promotion? If there's God in heaven, how come he's not seeking me? And where's the gift I get for Christmas? And I thought that was such a valuable point. And maybe you do too. The wise men came seeking him and giving him gifts. So that's the life application I make. We must seek Jesus and worship him for who he is and be willing to give him all that's valuable to us. That's what he asks. If he is the king of kings, the king of the Jews, sure, but he's the king of John Schmidt too. He's the king of your life. The rightful heir of my life is the one who made me. And I do worship him as such. First Peter 3.15, Peter says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. When I come to Christ, he's my Lord. He's my king. Isaiah 9.6 told us that Jesus, when he would be born... A child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's who they worship him for. I mean, chances are, the wise men had read that passage. They understood these prophecies. They would have said, this is a Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God in the flesh, Everlasting Father. We don't know how this is going to work, they wouldn't have known all the things that were ahead for Jesus, but they would have known there was no one like him. And they came and bowed down to him and gave him gifts fit for a king. It's a revealing gift. Where am I? Am I willing to give my heart freely to God? If God says, I want you to surrender some part of my life, I'm willing to say, here, take it. Because I trust you. One of the great things about my wife accepting that ring and putting that ring on her finger, she was saying, hey, I'm going with you. Wherever our lives go, we're going together. Yes. I mean, that's what I wanted. What God wants, he wants the same thing. Hey, I'm, I want you to give, I'm giving you my son. I want you to give me your life. I'm a wonderful counselor. I'm Almighty God. I'm the Everlasting Father. I'm the Prince of Peace. I'll guide you. And it's so interesting. The wise men, who probably had half the information, or much less than that, than the chief priests who lived here in Jerusalem, they were the ones who figured it out. And the chief priests didn't even bother to show up. I mean, it doesn't say any of them even went with them. revealing gift well the story goes on so we know about the chief priests and the teachers of religious law they were apathetic the wise men they worshiped jesus and then there's king herod herod was hostile toward baby jesus because he viewed him as a threat to his throne 
affected the throne. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Jesus. This is a story continuing on in verse 13 of chapter 2. Uh, he appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Well, that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Now, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him, so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. I mean, if he couldn't get the wise men to tell him which baby boy it was, let's kill them all. Not take any chances. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, for Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Rachel was the um, kind of the matriarch picture for all of the, the, the mother of Israel, if you will. And pictured how these women were grieving for their children. A life application. We must run to Jesus, not view him as a threat to the throne of our lives. I mean, it was a revealing gift. Jesus came into the world. Herod wasn't apathetic. He saw him as a direct threat. If he wants to be Lord, well, there's only one Lord here, and there's only one king. I'm king of the Jews. And you go, well, John... Yeah, but that was a crazy tyrant. That doesn't apply to me. Well, listen to John 3.17. This is Jesus again when he grew up. Right after, We all read John 3.16 when I first started here. Well, here's verse 17 through 21. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. This is Jesus. Occasionally I talk to people, Jesus never talked about God punishing people. Jesus never talked about hell. Jesus never talked about it. He did all the time. Jesus only said John 3.16. No, he also said 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Those who do not uh, do what is right, those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they're doing what God wants. But there are others, they love the darkness. And that was Herod. This Christmas season, there are people who want nothing to do with Christmas. They mock Christmas. They mock the whole idea that we even need a Savior. We don't need a Savior in this world. You don't have to go far. You can Google mocking Christmas and you'll find plenty of evidence of that. Why would anybody care? I mean, why would you be opposed to baby Jesus? Well, what if I don't want to come into the light? What if I like my life the way it is? And this is a revealing gift. Herod didn't want to share his throne. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I mean, we need a Savior. I have heavy burdens in my life. So do you. What's so ironic about this is Herod thought he was afraid that Jesus would grow up and take his territory. Jesus wasn't after Herod's territory. Jesus was after Herod's heart. 
And so many times when people think about asking Jesus in your life, all the things I'm going to have to give up. I can't smoke or cuss or chew or go out with girls who do. And I can't do stuff like that anymore. And we don't talk about, hey, what do I gain? Eternal life, peace, joy, forgiveness, purpose, meaning, authentic relationships. I'm no longer afraid of dying. I no longer carry all this grief and shame. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I've given you my son. If you come to him, he'll give you a brand new life. No. Don't want it. It's a revealing gift. I mean, Herod knew the prophecies of the Messiah too. If there was any chance that this was the Messiah, he was going to kill him. I mean, if God asked me to surrender my life, would I say, no, I'm not going your way. I'm running my way. And get out of my way. I'll call you if I need you. Finally, point D, and there's Joseph. Joseph was obedient and responsive to God's directions. The religious leaders were apathetic. The wise men worshipped Jesus for who he was, king of kings and lord of lords. Herod was hostile, wanted to kill him. And then there was Joseph. He was obedient and responsive. I mean, everywhere you see Joseph in here, I mean, we hardly ever talk about Joseph. So I'm getting some, I want some time for Joseph this Christmas. And he did some pretty heroic stuff here. I mean, he gave up all of his dreams. He surrendered them completely to what God wanted him to do. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So this would have been a couple of years later. So Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in yet another dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived there in a town called Nazareth. They went down to Egypt. By the way, in Alexandria at the time, there had been almost a million Jews. That is not, that's completely believable. That Jesus would, and Mary, Joseph and Mary would have been there with baby Jesus for a couple of years. When Herod died, they wanted to go back to Bethlehem, apparently for those two years after he'd been born, Joseph had established a business. He was a carpenter and uh, would have been working there. Well, when he found out Herod's son Archelaus, who was just as brutal as, old, as his old man had been, he was afraid to go there, and the angel said, go back to Nazareth. And so they went up to the north here in the northern part of Israel. And Jesus grew up there, and so that's why he was called the Nazarene. Now, I tell you all this because there's a life application for you and me. I must be obedient and responsive to God's directions. Psalm 32, 8 and 9 says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. I mean, the good news of Christ is he came into the world to save filthy, rotten sinners who need purpose and meaning. I need a prince of peace. I need almighty God to protect me and guide me. I want an everlasting father. And so I come to him. And the reaction is, this is what I want. And so the real question this morning is just, where are you and I? And to help us kind of evaluate that, if you flip your outline over to the back page, Campus Crusade 
um, did a really neat thing years ago. They put out a little um, booklet where they had three circles. And inside the circle, you'll see it on the back page of your outline there, there would be a little chair. And the chair represents the throne of my life, the control seat, if you will. And for a non-Christian, well, Jesus is outside my life, and the S represents the self. I'm seated on the throne. I make my own decisions, and Jesus isn't any part of my life. When a person becomes a believer, things change. And just like the wise men, they kneel at the throne, and Christ is on the throne. This is where Joseph was. If the Lord said, go, he went. Flee to Egypt. Go back. Go north. Take Mary as your wife in the first place. He was obedient and responsive. And God wants us to do the same thing. And so this is a Christian. And when a person comes to Christ, this is the whole big struggle. When I become a believer, who's on the throne of my life? Am I going to listen to what God's word says or am I going to keep running my own life? Because I've been doing a great job of running it into the ground. Amen? Okay, I need a better response than that. I was doing a great job of running my life in the ground before I met Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Okay, that's part of it. I need a Savior. Well, the third circle is where it's just a worldly Christian. And this would kind of be where some of those priests would have been. They represented this, the religious leaders. They were still on the throne of their lives. We'll put the cross here, but they would have had God as a part of their life, but they were still running their life. And this is the most awful place to be. The New Testament warns us not to get here, where we climb back on the throne and say, well, Jesus, I'll let you in part of my life, but I don't want you in all of my life. If I'm here, I need to come to Christ. If I'm here, I need to repent. Come back. What's my response? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, Jesus is a gift that demands a response. He's a revealing gift. I thank you, Lord, that he revealed a lot in the hearts of the people of the days when Herod was trying to kill him, and the priests were ignoring him, and the wise men were worshiping and giving him gifts. I thank you that Joseph was obedient. And God, I just want to be like Joseph. I want to respond to whatever you tell me to do. I want to be like the wise men and worship you for who you are. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're almighty God, everlasting father. You're the prince of peace, and you are due all the worship I can give you. And Lord, I don't want to hold back any part of my life. I want you on the throne. Herod wouldn't share his throne. But Lord, you're the rightful king of my life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.